I'll open it up for questions in just a second. Of course, you guys are welcome to address a particular speaker or, or a question for all of them. Um, I'm going to relay your question in the microphone because we're going to go ahead and record the panel as well. That way there will be context for anyone who listens in later. Just this week, I encountered another conference that did a really poor job with audio, and so it's very much on my mind to do, to do a good job here. Um, before, before we take questions from the audience, though, I did have a, a question for all three of you that I, I wanted to ask. Um, in all of these issues, the reality of the world we live in with a pluralistic society, um, it doesn't really matter if it uh, if it's an interfaith commitment to do something about it, or if you've got strong opposing views from other communities outside the faith community, there's just a lot of complexity um, in, in all three of these issues. And so I was wondering um, if you guys could give us any advice on, on navigating that. Just, just to throw up one illustration, um, you know, we had the, this huge demonstration with the Women's March, um, but but attending something like that instantly became a declaration of allegiance on so many issues. And it seems like on any of these issues, trying to do anything automatically sets up barriers with, with other people. Um, and, then, and then there are really true barriers that, that make navigating these things difficult, even if you're in agreement on these issues. So if you have any thoughts on those things. I'll start. Uh, we face in the anti-trafficking movement the movement of um, those who want to decriminalize prostitution. Um, so locally, the Stranger is a big proponent of that. Um, Sex Worker Outreach Project is a national movement that is really strong locally and have significant lobbying efforts in Olympia to pass laws that favor sex buyers. Um, so... Um, so that there's less penalties for buyers uh, so that essentially they can continue to engage in sex work. Um, now, we know from the research that it's probably about 10 or 11% of people involved in the sex industry are there um, not because of force, fraud, or coercion, and they're not under the age of 18, and so we... Um, try, we understand that it is actually a very, very small percentage of individuals that are um, actually making it more difficult to serve those who are vulnerable and those who um, don't feel like there's a way out. So w whenever possible, like we engage with folks who identify as sex workers and just try to get to know them relationally and from my experience, anytime I've done that and really sat down and listened to the background and full story of a, a person who identifies as a sex worker and is a proponent of legalizing prostitution, I hear that at some point in their um, childhood there was a series of traumatic events or there was a point at which they did actually believe that this was the only option. And so I don't throw that in their face, but I just take it as, an, as a way to get to know them and understand them and listen. Um, so that's one way. The, on, the only other thing that comes to mind is uh, being a faith-based organization in Seattle is a bit difficult because it's not a, not a community that tends to trust uh, Christian organizations, Christian nonprofits. And there are some good reasons. There's been some history of Christian nonprofits not 
um, engaging in ways that were very loving um, or honest, uh, kind of back in the days. So we have, we really took an approach early on to be under the radar and to not kind of um, shout about all of this amazing work we were going to do or were doing, but instead um, just do the work and let the work speak for itself, knowing that the folks that w were coming into contact with us, if they were helped and felt loved by us, like they would s share that around. And eventually folks in the community started be you know hearing of us and I started setting up meetings with people and just listening and just saying you know here are all of the ways I've learned from the different community meetings I've been at here are, are here's what we're doing to implement these things I've learned and it was I was just reflecting back that I was paying attention to the things that were important to the other groups not just important to us um, for how to be movement minded and not just minded for rest Um, I think the, the, um, the women's march was a good example to use because, um, I saw a lot of different Christians, uh, have a huge issue with the Christian women, uh, just kind of jumping on board like, yes, women's rights. I even saw some Christian women, you know, that took offense to it because of all the different things that it represented. So what, strange, what was strange, though, to me, too, was when you don't have a centralized theme, per se, you'll even have people that are in support of what's going on in opposition because I watched some of the, you know, different interviews and video from different, you know, blogs or whoever that were out there recording or interviewing people. And I saw one group of people that were there that were in support of the march, but they had a sign that was looked like they were not in support of everything. It was like, um, the feminist movement is, is was something something on the back of colored women, and I was like, today in my brain, I'm like today would not be the day that I went to you know, make this stand because it's supposed to look like it's about one thing, but that kind of made me look at it and say, but it's not you know, and so I actually asked myself, how could I support this or not? you know, as a believer, because there were people out there that were standing up for the right to be able, in their brain, stand up for the right to be able to have an abortion. And so, like, there are some things that I just, I just can't get behind, you know? But one thing that I'm learning more and more as I go along is it's okay for me to point out the things within something that I do support, you know, uh, to say like, well, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that, but this aspect of it I do. And I think for believers, that's, that's always going to be a hard part. Um, I felt uh, strongly, like a lot of people have a bad, a bad, bad taste in their mouth for Black Lives Matter, you know, like, 
And one of the reasons is, and particularly is that, uh, is because of media. So media, media will hype up whatever is popping. So you, you got, um, and which I hate these words because I feel like they're used to identify somebody instantly that you don't agree with. So you got right, you got conservative right, you got liberal left. Like as soon as you say liberal, a person doesn't want to hear nothing else you got to say. As soon as you say right, the, the left person doesn't want to hear nothing for real. But you got left and right media that perpetuates whatever idea they think the crowd wants to, you know, be a part of. And so when I think about a lot of times, like when you look at, when you look at uh, most people, when you say Black Lives Matter, they instantly go to black people want to kill police. You, that's, the, that's the instant thought. How can you support that? That's, they're anti-police. They want to kill police officers. And it's like you think of the negative first before you think of the positive. So a lot of, a lot of believers, they don't even want to begin to take on the idea of the problem. So I feel like as the church, and me and you talked about this a little bit via text, like I think there should be a, you know, I want to use the word alternative because it should have been an instant spring, you know, uh, a springing of it. But there should be an alternative thing, you know, that a person that feels like, well, I want to support this, but I don't want to be attached to this, but I want to support this and I want to do it under an umbrella that is that holds to my belief system. And so I know a couple people that like the and, and campaign, like A-N-D, uh, the and campaign out of Atlanta. Um, they're one of the main people I could think of. And the and is for social justice and biblical principles or biblical principles and social justice. So, you know, but I, I get it for the Christians that feel like I can't just attach myself to that because that agenda is being pushed. And and so I, I get it, yeah. I, I found it hard to fully celebrate the the women's march, being honestly. I one thing about it, when you say women, I knew there were gonna be a lot of people there, right? Because women, y'all are look around the room right now, right? When you say women, y'all come out and support anything that you believe in. So I knew there would be a lot of people. You, I knew it was going to be very well organized. <laughs> if it was like a dude's march, it would have been like <laughs> horrible. Like we would have had no time. It would have been like, hey, we're just going to show up when we get there. Like I saw like stages, all of that. I'm like, yeah, this is a women's march. It's perfectly organized. But, yeah, I get it. I get it for the believers that. And I think the only way that we can fully go into those situations and support would be if there's an alternative, you know, like an alternative thing. Or you will constantly have to keep saying, I'm here, but I don't, I'm, I'm not supporting her. You know what I'm saying? And what she believes, but I'm supporting him, you know. Yeah, and that's what he had, so. Yeah, the women's, women's march, um, I was thinking about that just the other day because um, a friend had messaged me talking about um, a, a mutual friend of ours, a guy who um, 
who had raped and like and pointed a gun at a girl who was his fiance and then forced her to shoot him in self-defense just sick things that just make you want to go and like stare at a wall for a while um but i was thinking man you know this goes on so often i can i can see why um why anybody who acknowledges that you know women are human beings um might want to go march and protest of the the sort of man our our president has on occasion shown himself to be things that he said um and the influence that 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 may have upon our culture to support that kind of behavior i thought you know i can i i get that um, but then again like i thought man how can that how how evil is that you know how how messed up is it that you can have something that's so um so right so good to to protest something that's a real wrong but then on the flip side um have it also be um a promotion of another form of oppression and murder at the same time um so my uh, my initial thought i'm just asked the question um was second corinthians 6 14 do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness it sounds really puritanical right but i think um it kind of comes out um what Travis was saying is, um, is it is true. What accord does Christ have with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. But we know that he didn't mean, oh, don't have any association with unbelievers, because other places he says, look, that's not what I'm saying. Um, so I think it's, it's a useful distinction to have co-belligerents and allies. Um, because you don't, you don't want to join yourself together um, with uh, a cause or an organization or a group that you know is going to end up um, compromise or confusing um, what you're calling for. And um, an advantage of being an abolitionist and um, being independent as a society um, and partially by nature of what we do and, um, and kind of the uncompromising nature of what we're calling for is nobody really wants to partner with us anyway. Um, but uh, there will often be people that, that come out and talk to us um, and say, hey, we want to be part of what you do. But then I explain to them, look, I'm, um, I am glad that you recognize that, that this is, at least in this way, that this is what it is, that you recognize that they're human beings. I'm like, But um, we have a particular reason why we recognize them as human beings. Um, and so we... We don't think there's any real good foundation for um, for human life and right living and um, consistent love aside from um, knowing this God, knowing this Jesus Christ. 
Um, so we're not going to become allies with you, not that we don't like you, not that you're wrong when you say that you agree with us here, um, but we can't join together with you as allies because we do have a different goal. And I think, again, that's um, like people talk about, oh, the church and social justice or like biblical principles and social justice, but it's all one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing, like that's why I think the main, the main call is for the church itself to repent, to stop trying to farm these things out um, to other organizations, but to really, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that um, we learn too late in the day that action does not spring from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. And I think that's what we really need within um, the church as a whole, is a readiness for responsibility to like look back and think, okay, um, there were failings in the first century, but the first century and, and onward, Christianity has transformed the world. Like we see all sorts of wicked things today, but most of them are little returns to um, things that Christianity did address um, and did change for the better. I'm not going to try and gloss it over and say it was, it was perfect or there wasn't wicked things that happened as well in the name of Christ. Um, but to ask ourselves, you know, why was it that most of the churches just kind of rolled over um, to the Third Reich. Why was it that most of the churches just kind of rolled over to what was referred to by the abolitionists as the slave power? Um, and to, to make a, a third option, um, because it's not a mix of this and, um, and philosophies of this world that are going to bring about thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so there's, there are a lot of us. Um, God has called quite a few people. And I think what we really need to do is we need to make ourselves ready for responsibility and, and, um, and act. I know we, we're kind of reticent to do that because I think too often we see like cheesy Christian attempts to copy something that the world is doing and we don't want to do that. Um, but in these, in these realms, we have um, resources they do not have. And what we need to do is we need to go out and um, show them something that they would want to be allied with and then show them the reasons why we do it. Great. Anybody have a question? Oh, Can sorry, I, I, did, I guess I just maybe want to add one more theme there. I didn't talk about the Women's March, and I'm not going to, but... Um, I guess I do feel strongly that it's important from my perspective that we continue to, that we hold a posture of curiosity. And just, a, there is, yes, a call to act, but I think sometimes in the call to act, we forget to listen. We forget to ask questions, and we forget to know the people in front of us that might hold different views. And maybe when we ask questions and are curious to understand, it actually pushes, puts us in a better position to be winsome, to, to be a pleasing aroma, to be able to speak to either wounds or hurts or pains or some narrative that they hold um, to be able to walk to a different place with them, you know? And so I think I just don't want to miss that importance of curiosity and Walking with somebody in a march doesn't necessarily mean to me that you're in a partnership or you're, 
yoking enough that you can walk with somebody for one purpose and disagree about many other purposes and learn a lot about the person you're walking next to. Questions? just rephrase it. Um, so the, the question is for Judah and it has to do with the, the conflict of rights and so um, was it how can or why can? So, so legally, the only way that the government can um, directly interfere with abortion is is pitted against the rights of the woman, and so how how to deal with that issue? Yeah, like why could why would the government be government? Why should the government be allowed to put the the, the rights of one person's right to life over another person's rights to uh, freedom and prosperity? Well, there's that um, not-so-self-evident beginning to the Declaration of Independence. Um, the, the right to life is not um, endowed by any human government. And I think this is, this is another way in which, um, in which we can't think like the world thinks. Um, we have to think as Christians. Uh, I don't even think in terms of, um, okay, what... Um, what uh, the government says, yeah. I, I mean, I would specifically like this to be, um, be like if we were, if we were talking to a non-Christian. Okay. How would, how would we have, I mean, we can say God and Jesus all we want, and it should, and it does matter mm -hmm. to us as Christians, but why would anybody who's not a Christian pay any mind to what you're saying? Because it's true. Um, and, and they don't have to, they will one day. Um, but I, I, before God, I have to refuse to limit my action, um, to what the current law says is possible, um, or probable. So I don't, I don't only engage in action if I think, well, okay, um, this is going to be profitable. Um, I I do it out of out of obedience and in response to the things I know. Like the psalmist says, "I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart." Um, I do it because it's a joy to obey God, to love my fellow man, I, I, and I owe it to them, whether or not they respond positively. Um, as far as why should the government um, 
uh, force a woman to take care of a child um, because generally parents are held to be responsible for their children. Um, if they're not or they're declared to be incapable of that, well, um, then in our current society they're taken away and they try and find an appropriate guardian. Um, the primary thing is that this, this argument is used to then justify, okay, well then they should be able to solve the problem by killing the child, um, which what is the killing of an innocent human being aside from murder? So it's like, okay, if, we, if we're talking about somebody's right to autonomy, whatever that looks like, um, if that results in the murder of another human being, um, that's nothing but child sacrifice, ultimately. That's what it is. Um, so I don't even see a question there, really. Um, the government's the government's purpose, at least the government's purpose, I was about to say at least according to scripture, but um, truly the government's purpose is to um, see that justice is done on earth, um, to reward those who do evil and punish those who do good, according to the scriptures. Um, so, yeah, governments should, uh, should restrict anybody's perceived right to murder whatever they hope to benefit from that murder. Um, does that answer the question? I'm not sure if I did or not. Yeah, it's going to look really different than a, a Christian debate on it. We have different first principles. Oh, yeah. um, but I think it's helpful to know what those arguments are and understand it because I think um, God leads us to these places for right reasons. And the first thing I thought of when you asked that question is I would ask, what are the other examples in which someone has permission to um, take the life of another person for their own, um, out of their own choice, like freedom of choice. Are there other examples of that? And let's look at those and see how they compare to abortion. And it seems to me that in exploring that with somebody and, and talking through those examples, we would find that um, the self-defense or other situations, I, I can only think of like self-defense right now, um, that the the reasons that make taking somebody else's life in order to, like, out of a choice that you have to make as part of saving your own life, those applications don't, don't stand in the same context of abortion. So I guess that's my initial reaction to that question is I would want to look at the other scenarios and the other types of... Um, other experiences where the government is saying, in this case, it's okay, or in this case, it's not okay. I think Amanda brings up a, an interesting point, too, because there's a false premise in, in the question that this is a tremendously unique thing to have to answer when rights are pitted against each other, when almost every hot topic issue of our time, it doesn't matter if you just reduce it down to free speech and hate speech, 
it, it always comes down to this tension or gun ownership. You know, it, it doesn't really matter the issue. We talk about this in every other area, and I think I think what you end up doing is very quickly recognizing that it has to do with the the asterisk next to this one, which is what Judah talked about, about the dehumanization, that it's not really a question of one's rights against another's rights. And if it were, then we have lots of resources in thinking through those things. And as Amanda said, it plays out very differently in this, this situation. Yeah, I, I think too, just to add to it, uh, everything he said stands for us because we're Christian. But for a person that's not Christian, we could talk to we're blue in the face. They are not going to, that doesn't mean nothing to them. So we, we just acknowledge, I think when we, we have to acknowledge that part and move on past it, because a, a woman that's walking into an abortion clinic that's not a, a Christian, she doesn't even understand the weight of what we're attempting to explain to her. And um, one thing I would love to see, and I'm going to say this because we're on the subject, and I hope as many people as possible would listen to this one day but because uh, I think it's a lot of good information. But one thing I would love to see, so when we look at abortion statistics, a, a lot of it happens in uh, communities where there are minorities. Uh, so, I, like, I, she made one of my, my, my points I always make uh, when she chimed in about the, the women's march I hate when people just think when we start talking about social stuff, it's instantly like, you're liberal because you agree with this one thing, everything. No, I can pick and choose which things I agree with that make sense inside of uh, my biblical worldview. And um, I'll be honest, like when it comes to abortion, I think as Christians, a a lot of people's issue with us isn't always that we're so anti-abortion but because I think we don't, like there are certain things inside of abortion that I like I would wrestle with to be allowed. Like I'm just being honest. If my daughter was raped by a dude, like I don't know if I would put her through, you know, having a baby for nine months from someone that raped her. I don't know if I could do that. I'm just being honest. Like, and I think that's when, most cases, our Christian answers are so cut and dry that it's like, but God's going to, God loves the baby. He's going to, I know that. I know all of that. But I have a, you know, a child here that has been, you know, and there are some people that do it. Like, you heard the wonderful stories. I was raped. I had a child. I'm like, yo, that's amazing. You see the grace of the Lord. So it's it's some things that. I'll wrestle through and say, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, oh, no, that's no no brainer. But um, I would love to see Christians get more on the front end of abortion uh, in ways of education. So if we know that a majority of abortions are happening in inner city impoverished, like I'm from the hood, like abortions are normal. It's a, it's a normal thing in our environment. It's sad, but it's true. But I also could tell you that people don't think through none of the stuff that we're saying. So they don't think through, like, this is a child. They do. Now, people do know. This is my, like, I've seen many people that have had abortions growing up. Like, you know, like, they acknowledge it's a baby. But they don't acknowledge that it's being dehumanized. It's made in the image of God. God is, this is being accounted as this. So they don't, they, they consider it 
almost what you said, another option. Because they're looking at life, oh, man, I, I got pregnant, I, I'm, I'm 14, 16, whatever. You know, my mom's already struggling to take care of the six of us or the five of us. and now we're, So it's, it's almost looked at as another option. So I wish that there would be more education on the front end from Christians to, to go to these communities and not just teach anti or, or teach pro-life or anti-abortion, but begin to teach the importance of life, um, begin to teach these young girls and the young men, because we spearhead a lot of the situation, you know, teach the young men the importance of, you know, waiting till you're married, uh, not having children uh, out of wedlock, the, the value of your own life, I think if we started to put a lot of energy into doing that kind of stuff and resources, we would see things change. Because when people know better, even when we aren't Christian, when people tend to know better sometimes, they tend to do better sometimes. But I think if we know this is where the problem lies, I don't think we should wait until on the back end to see the statistics through the roof we should get on the front end and say, all right, this is where the stuff is happening at. Let's get to them before they get to, you know, this point. Let's go in. Let's do some education. Let's go in and do this. Because as a Christian, I, I love to see people go in and do the vocation, like Bible schools. And most of them just teaching kids how to play soccer and have fun all summer for like two, three hours. Baby, The parents send them out because they're babysitting. Heard the kids are gone for three. You know, it's fun. But I would love to see that same energy go into life skills because a lot of the kids don't even know. And abortion, it's, it's a norm. And people are hurt over it. Like, I think that's the thing we, we don't see. Like, people are hurt. Like, I've seen people have abortions, and they're messed up for months. You know, like, like they're really hurt. Like, I had to kill my baby. Like, so there's a lot of things that are going on that I wish we could be, we would move in to be a part of that stuff. And, and I think it'll, it'll prevent some of it. If we start teaching young girls early on, like their value and they don't learn that. They don't learn their worth. They don't know. They're not looking at it through the lens of God. So I think as Christians, I would love for us to put some energy and effort into that part of it. Great. Let's take another question. So the, the question then is about the, the tension in dealing with these things between compassion and patience as well as truth, as well as the tension between, um, as we've been talking about, communicating uh, from a Christian worldview and at the same time recognizing where that stuff doesn't bear credence and it's still being an important issue to address. I'm a little different because, like, I just some, I'll just say stuff that I mean but I'll try to say it in the nicest way possible. So, like, since it was the last thing. So, if, if one of my friends came to me and said, man, my, I got this girl pregnant. I'm about, to, I'm about to get her abortion. You know, what do you think? Most cases, I frame my stuff and say, so you want me to tell you what I really think? Or you want me to tell you what you think you want to hear? 
And so my friends will say, they're like, man, tell me what you really think. I want to know what you think. And I, I'll usually just go for the, I'll just drop the bomb. I'll usually drop the bomb right then and then prepare and repair the rubble around it. So I usually come straight out and be like, well, I think abortion is a sin. Like, this is why I think that, because I believe, you know, that babies from the point of, you know, conception instantly, you know, it's a human life. Uh, I believe that from reading the scriptures, Jeremiah 1, before you were formed in your mother's womb. I knew, So I'll, I'll run this stuff down to them. This is why I believe the stuff I believe. But, you know, this is what I want to say to you about it. You know, I, I want to say this. I want to say that. Man, how, why do you feel this is, you know, and, and I'll start asking questions. Why do you feel this is, you know, necessary, like, what is, what is the other choice? And if it's one of my real close friends, uh, it, the conversation will be way different. Man, like, what, what was you, you know, what was you thinking about? You didn't think this through, and you know. So, but I, I usually drop the bomb, and then me and the person clean everything up, you know. So, but it's because I've I've seen that work in my own incident, in, in my own situations because. People usually do a build up to the big thing, and it's just like, yo, let's get to the big part. For me, it's like, let's go here and let's level it off because I want you to see, I want you to see how I feel about it because of what I believe, but I want you to also see once, because most cases, once you get to the point of what you believe, the conversations, it's over, and people usually think you hate them. You know what I'm saying? So I'll tell them what I believe first and then show them in the conversation, like, but I still love you. Like, I love you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk through this with you. You know, like, so that usually works for me because people get a chance to see, like, dang, I just I just said something he really don't like. But he's still sitting there listening to me. He still gave me a hug. You know, he still, you know what, if it's that bad, we crying together. I cry, y'all. I know I look like I don't, but we crying. We crying together. We hugging, you know, whatever the case is. And it's like it gets the chance to show the person, like, man, like, you really don't believe this is right, but you still love me through it. So that's usually how I would I handle certain situations. I think um – a lot of what they said was was really valuable. I would always think if, if you have the time, um, and usually if it's it's friends, acquaintances, or even people who have a little bit of time out on the street, um, I almost always start it with asking them a bunch of questions about what they think, um, what they believe, to see where they're coming from. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I don't like I don't even categorize the word of God as, oh, well, these are my beliefs. Not that I don't believe them. But when I say I believe them, that means um, I consider them factual. I consider them true. So I don't say, um, oh, it's just my personal belief that Travis is sitting on a chair. Um, I don't frame it that way because I, it's true. It's evident, you know, right? Um, even if somebody else doesn't know that Travis is sitting on a chair, I know he's sitting on a chair, and I'm not going to pretend that I don't. Um, so when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I really do. I am convinced um, that the only thing that will bring about an end 
um, to any actual social evil, to any sin, is the gospel of God. Um, so I'm not, I don't want to reinforce any false premises that somebody else is starting from, even if those end up coinciding with some, um, in, in a conclusion that happens to coincide with uh, something that God says. Um, so I don't want to accept their premises and, and just to get them to do what I want them to do. Um, of course, I'm not going to stop them. And this is, oh, well, based on these premises, I, okay, well, I am grateful <laughs> that at least you're, you're not following this other course of action. Um, but I think there's a reason why, why Jesus did go out and say, um, all right, go out into the world. Uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why, why they start with the doctrine of creation. Every time Paul goes out, he doesn't say, um, he doesn't speak in, in like explicitly Jewish terms that would be really obscure for his Gentile hearers, but he's still talking about the same actualities, um, creation, the purpose of God for man, um, what a human being is, um, what Jesus Christ has come to do and will do, God's future for mankind. He speaks about those things as best as he can in ways that he thinks the people that he's speaking to are going to be able to understand them. Um, but he doesn't say, well, all right, um, how about your Platonism says that you shouldn't do X, Y, Z, so um, maybe you shouldn't do X, Y, Z if you really want to be a consistent Platonist. He doesn't do that because Paul knows um, that the gospel is the power of salvation for those that believe. By salvation, I don't just mean forgiveness of sin. Um, I mean salvation from all the things um, that sin has brought in. You want me to expand? If you want. Good on that. Um, well I, I talked about this in um, in the session, and I think the. I think ultimately, relationship is the key uh, in general, and I think that is what Jesus modeled. Uh, with when he came and now um, that he pursues us intimately and he demonstrates that he knows us and um, that God is working out something for the good of each of us that is unique um, to what he has in mind for us. And I, as somebody who has really, really embraced um, the good feeling that comes with feeling like I know what's right and knowing what's true and being able to kind of stand on that solid ground, I would say, so this is a bit of a qualification here, I would say that over the last probably year and a half, I have been interacting with people who also believe, as Christians, that they know what's right and what's true, and they seem to have a, a heart that does seeks to love Jesus and worship him and live a life that follows him, but we're in very different camps. And that has done something, I think, really beneficial for me, and that is to say God is beyond what we can know. Like, we know in part, and though there are some things that we may be able to say without a shadow of a doubt, like across all denominations or perspectives of people who love Jesus and seek to... Um, follow the authority of scripture and the place of scripture, that th these are true. But I think being able to say, even, even then, like, we are but dust, like we are um, incapable of fully understanding 
the complex complex mystery of who God is. And so it may, it allows me to enter into relationships feeling grounded in what I do believe, but also feeling open to being curious and to asking questions and to understand how somebody is arriving at where they are. Because I think what, what has happened to me in the past is if I don't hear certain key words, I'll assume somebody is not a Christian. And I've learned that as I ask more questions and I don't let certain things become these like immediate disqualifiers, then somebody actually is interacting with God in a way just different than I am familiar with. And I think that's been really helpful to open the door to relationships um, and then also just demonstrating and describing who I know Jesus to be and where he's leading. Um, Just very quickly on the topic of engaging with non-believers and when to speak truth. um, I, I think I have a conviction that it's not, it is not actually my responsibility to cast judgment on those who are not believers that God is actually doing something with them and that I get to reflect the love of Jesus and that I get to um, when in conversation or when in relationship with them as it makes sense to highlight truth um, especially in a way that's going to reflect his love and his grace and the um, opportunity for forgiveness Um, but I just I am careful not to stand from a position of judgment to non-believers. Okay, so the question is, do you use social uh, social media on these hot topic issues? Can it be helpful, or is it just inherently divisive? Well, I told you I was just had a, a debate this morning. Now, so this is what I do. I categorize where I talk about certain stuff. One thing I've learned, Facebook, Facebook gathers all of the crazy people in the world under one roof. They all come to one place to have arguments. (laughs) Yeah, so certain stuff I don't say on Facebook. Like, I don't at all, period. Like, I don't even talk about it. Because there are so many arguments going on already all day on people's timelines, and they're just going, going, going. By the time they see yours, it's like, oh, here's my, here's another opportunity. You could be saying the most profound thing in the world. It could be right. They're not going to even consider that. They're going to jump in and boom, go for it. Now, on Twitter, one thing I've I've seen and learned about Twitter is, is people come to Twitter for that to have the discussions like where they'll go back and forth, they'll talk, it gets heated, but the people that are gathered there for the most part, they're cool with that. And I see a lot of people use that platform uh, for that. So I've had in the past, just being honest, I've had some unfruitful conversations like where I just look and say like, yo, this was not, this wasn't good at all. Like I was just wasting my time uh, the people watching me, they probably just, you know, it was probably the worst for them. And uh, so over time, I've learned to shape it because I'm a public figure. People all like people always want to pick arguments with me. So people will come to pick an argument with me just to see if I'm going to go back and forth with them. And uh, I've had to learn like, OK, I want to pick my battles because 
one day I'm going to say something that's important. And I want the people that follow me to not think that I'm just always, you know, uh, on a certain kind of mission. So over time, I've gathered a group of people that follow me on Twitter that I'll have like one person pop in and they'll say, I don't agree with you on your stance about, you know, social issues. Basically, shut up and rap. Like, we want rap songs. And then the other people that follow me will see that and be like, no, we love we love what you say. Like, please, like, don't stop. So it could be fruitful if it's done in the right way. Um, I think you just, you got to pick your battles of which ones you're going to take on. Then over time, uh, depending on what it is, you, you have to think about one of the things I just thought through was like, um, I was I was like with a team of people I work with, so I'm like, man, on Twitter, people love to hear me talk about this stuff. And uh, I was like, how can I, you know, maximize this voice uh, that people, you know, people come to hear me say. Like when issues happen now, people will at me and be like, what you think? You know, so people will come to ask me like just what I think about it. So we were like, yo, let's do medium so I can really formulate a thought and that way it could become even more fruitful. So I definitely think social media is the fastest way of communication uh, that we've known in existence so far. Uh, so to not use it to address certain things, I think would be a, a disservice to the gospel, like period. Like I think it, it would completely be because it's the, like I could say something right now on social media and people will see it in 10 different countries. You know, I could post something and I, I posted something before, you know, and it got a million, like, whatever, you know, on my artist page, which I stopped saying stuff on her completely. But it, so it's the fastest way of communication. So I think we would do a disservice not to use it in some form or fashion. But I think it goes back to what I said earlier. We do have to be mindful with accountability for it, that even though it's social media, we're going to be held accountable for our words. And sometimes we get on social media and we just think like, yo, I could say anything, like anything I want to, especially like if you make, if you are the owner of a troll account, you know, with the little egg on Twitter where your face is not on there or like on Facebook and it's like a little dog and then you have no info and it's like, I'm just going to go here and say what I like. That's usually the crazy people, right? But I definitely think it could be fruitful. It's all a matter of how we use it and uh, being mindful that we're going to be held accountable when the, when the scriptures say uh, we'll be held accountable for every word. Like, that does not exclude, you know, social media. Uh, we, we need to keep that in mind. And also, um, sometimes we can say stuff. There's truth that I'm going to say that's offensive, period. I could lay down on the floor with roses and flowers in my hand and incense burning, passing out coffee, like, and say it in the nicest way where I'm just humbled to the floor and people are going to get offended. But then there's also a way that I can say something where I intentionally either don't care about offending people or I do it in a way where I, I'm saying it to get a rise out of people. You know, so those are the things that I would I would be mindful of. I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
I think we almost have a thank duty. You, thank you. <laughs> we almost have a duty to use social media because it is. It's a, it's a way to speak, um, and it's the way that most people do speak. I think the main thing is just don't limit it to social media. Um, don't be a don't be a keyboard warrior. I think part of what's behind um, keyboard wars is um, pride. Um, so as long as what you're saying matches your own personal action, and as long as both of those things you recognize that you're going to, to give account for, um, then yeah, we have the opportunity. We're gonna mess up. Um, he who is, is who never sins in what he says is a perfect man, and I aim for that. Um, that was James said that, Jesus' brother. Um, so yeah, I use social media um, and I try and bear in mind that I'm trying to communicate. Um, I don't, I, I don't um, avoid being divisive. I don't aim to, in particular, just divide because I know that, you know, the truth is, is um, divisive. I don't rejoice in the fact that people get angry. I don't take like some kind of sick pleasure in the fact that I'm ticking people off um, if I happen to. Um, but look at look at the, the life and words of Jesus. Look at um, Paul. Uh, if you look at the, the abolitionists, I mean, riots tended to happen. People tended to get crucified um, because of what they said. Like Paul just teaching in Ephesus for several years. Um, what he was teaching kind of filtered out, oh, this guy says that man-made gods aren't gods at all. And you get a riot, and Paul gets kind of chased out of town. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, the apostles would have used Twitter and Facebook. Um, but I think it, know, know when to speak and know when to be quiet and, and pick your battles, but do speak, especially when we're called to speak on behalf of people who don't have a voice. Uh, sometimes I just like to be devil's advocate or throw in other thoughts for the heck of it because I, this is how I engage with this content and this type of stuff is to think from different perspectives and I think that's a useful practice in general so I just practice that with you right here. Uh, two things come to mind diff that are different because I sh share a lot in common with the opinions that were already um, shared. Um, one, I would love to see some research on how many, like, how often are opinions changed or positions changed as a result of Facebook interactions? I would love that research to be done and to really get a good glimpse on that to see, because I'm a little bit of a str strategist and I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to go about movements and we're going to build movement or create social change, like, let's let's attempt to do it in the most effective way. And so when I think of the use of social media, I try to approach it really strategically. Like what's gonna be the most effective way to gain um, the most number of people to follow and join a movement? Because when you have more people in the movement, there's more power and influence to push it forward. Um, and a movement is a movement towards change, social change, is only as powerful as um, the n number of people within it, um, but also the, the message, like what is 
the message. And I think like the Occupy Wall Street movement, even the Women's March, I think there are several different protests, movements, like there's these big opportunities where all of these people come together, um, but then the message gets so diluted because there's so many different objectives and you don't actually know what it was for. So then nothing ever gets done or changed. And so I think I would use social media to figure out what's the best way to create change and get that movement going. I would say this before we move on. On a personal level, that's one of the things that made me keep talking. Because at first, I'm an artist. I'm an artist, and in the Christian market, uh, probably 85% to 90% of the people that support Christian music are white evangelicals. So when I start talking about social justice as an artist, I risk losing everything. Like, because they don't, you know, most of them, they don't want to hear it. And so one of the things that uh, that made me keep talking was, one, I'm just that person. Um, I've, I've come from nothing. I'm used to losing everything. That doesn't bother me. I'm like, God got me, whatever, you know. But on the flip side, it would be days where being human, I would feel that, like, oh, man, like, I should just do what everybody else is doing and shut up and sell my CDs, right? And be quiet. And then I would get these messages back to back from like a white mom in Omaha, Nebraska, or somebody in Minnesota, or, or wherever the case is. And they just like, please don't stop talking. Like, you changed the way I look at this. Like, I follow you. Some of the stuff is hard for me to even think through, but it's helping me. It's changing the way I look at people. So I get those messages all the time, you know, like just over and over, over and over. People like, man, I want to encourage you. Like, I love what you're doing. Please don't stop. It's helping me think through. So that's one of the reasons I actually, I, I continue. But that's also the reason I make sure that I'm seeking the Lord on being unbiased because I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend my brothers and sisters being ignorant, you know, because there are people that are going to hear it and their mindset will change inside of the body of Christ. And I don't want to offend them because I'm mad at being ignorant. So, but I have a lot of personal um, experience of just, I'm talking about almost on a daily, people hitting me up saying, man, the stuff you just said, it just, it changes the way I look at stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose my follow-up second question, second research question after the first one would be in what, case like did you change your mind like what experience on social media as you know, as not, how they not see, necessarily yeah. you I'm just saying like people in general like what is it that happens on social media that could lead to a, a change of, or a change of position or you know what I'm saying I think it's the the ability to be able to drop truth without debate so if I could say something if I could tweet and say something the normal like if we start right now debating me and him He's not going to hear some of the stuff I'm saying because he's thinking through what he's about to say. He's probably going to be talking while I'm talking. But if I could put him behind a glass and just write my note up on the window and be like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what? I can't hear him. He can't hear me. All he could do is read what I just said. And I think it gives people that, that second, the process, like, dang, you know, like, I need to think about this yeah. versus an instant like 
you know, snap back. Um, I want to take one last question, but before we do, I want to apply the last question filter. Uh, so, so before you ask your question, if you want to be the last one, just process, process if this is the last question. Uh, sorry, well. I don't know if that's too much responsibility. I, it is. I'm putting a lot of trust in your hands. I just wanted to make sure and throw it out there. So last question. We've got a couple here. We might have time for two. Let's see how it goes. Go ahead, Scott. I think so. Were you pointing at somebody back there? What's your question? Um, so, so the question has to do with um, when all of these things are such hot topic issues, and that means that there's power plays going on, there's misinformation, there's agendas. Um, wouldn't it be better to, to as much as possible, distance ourselves from that? Um, and, and isn't that what we see with the Apostle Paul when he determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? Uh, so for me, right, um, I don't think we can, I don't think we can stay away from it. I do think we should take a, I almost want to say, I don't think we should take a neutral position because neutral means I can be cool with either, either way, you know? Uh, I, I think we should take a stand, but this is, this is what I, I this is what I think. Uh, when I see the scriptures and I see Jesus, every time, like, I, when I heard people, people try to downplay it and say, you know, oh, you're preaching a social gospel. I don't think there is a such thing as a social gospel. I don't think there is a such thing as social issues. I use certain word reference to frame it for people, but I think all issues are gospel issues. So when we look at abortion, it's not a social issue. It's a gospel issue because it's an attack on the, the imago Dei, the, the child being born in the image of God with the right to life. When we look at racism, it's an attack on the imago Dei, the, the person that is being torn down to not look like they're made in the image of God. When we look at sex trafficking, it's an attack on the Imago Day. It's the image of God that's being done. And I, I always say this. I believe everything in this world has two purposes. It's either going to push you away from or push you towards the gospel. It's either... It's either God drawing you or Satan trying to lead you away. So I don't think we can pretty much be neutral but I do see where it can be overwhelming there's so much stuff going on but I think like when we see Jesus when we see Jesus say hey tend to the widows and the fatherless like if Jesus said that today they would be like hey that's social gospel you just and they would also say you know what about everybody else like you just isolated two groups of people but everybody else matters. Like, why don't we deal with all of this stuff, right? But we see Jesus point out and say, look, deal with the orphans and the widows, right? Boom. He, he, the, uh, the orphans and the widows, he pointed out. 
So I think inside of the church, from a local body perspective, all we could do as Christians and individuals is, unless you have a platform or a space that allows otherwise, but as Christians and individuals, we're called to be missionaries in our everyday life. So we have, uh, we're called to have an effect in our everyday life, in the local body, in my local neighborhood, at my job, at these different other places. And I think as believers, if all of this stuff is going on, we should uh, feel the need to kind of be, you know, in the know as much as we can so we can be um, the voice that is the voice of reason because you're going to hear different things from different places. But when we're at least a little bit knowledgeable of situations, we can be that that uh, middle voice. We can be that person or we can do some research and find uh, a Christian that we, you know, that's why a lot of people come to my Twitter because they're like, yo, he's a Christian. I, I've been following him for years. I know he could trust him and he's going to say stuff about this issue that I'm going to get an unbiased point. So we can look up uh, believers that are saying this kind of stuff and doing the research that we can learn from and they can point us to the research. But I don't think we have the, uh, the right, uh, for lack of better words, to play it neutral. I think we have to take a stand, uh, even if it's uh, like I said earlier and like, like she said, um, if, even if it's taking a stand within things we don't always agree with. You know, like when I, I, like, it was funny when people saw me in Ferguson, it looked like I was, like, putting on these rallies. So, like, some of the stuff was so random. Like, one day I was out there and somebody, like, just handed me a bullhorn because I was saying something on the side. I was, I was arguing with a, a Black Panther dude because he was like, we got to shoot back, shoot the police. And I'm like, yo. So me and him arguing, I'm like, yo, that's dumb. I'm like, bro, where you from? He like, Washington. So I'm arguing with him like, bro, you got to go home. You got to get out of St. Louis because I'm, I'm worried like that. But I'm like, you got to get out of St. Louis. You got to go back home because you're going to get people killed. Like, that's stupid. So I'm arguing with him and somebody like, yeah, let him talk. Take the bullhorn and give it to me. And so when I get it, I get the I get the talking like we gotta think through this right. And I'm giving all these prolific little statements. And so this dude that's real popular, he take it on the Snapchat six seconds. Later on, I'm on like a news station worldwide. They like rally organizer. I'm like, no, I was just literally standing there, you know. But when you look at all of the other things that were going on out there. When, like, I had to constantly be in a position, like she said, where, okay, I'm going to be here coming to bring peace, but I don't agree with all the other stuff that's going on. And if I have to say that, I will say that, like, yo, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with this. This is this, you know. But I don't think we have the room to just be neutral. When I think of neutral, I think of it can roll either way, you know, and people assume that. So I think we do have to take some sort of a stand and let people know where we land at. But we should be informed enough to, you know, be able to have those. That This our world. We live in this world. It's not going to go away no matter how crazy the stuff is or uncomfortable it is. It's our world. We have to, we, we have the duty of knowing. Like, if, if, if something is being done wrong to people, like, it's the same thing with police brutality. Like, most people don't even care to look. They don't know what's going on. They just assume, oh, it's, it's a crime. It's an inner city. Uh, it's, it's probably bad. Boom. Police are good people. 
and some of them are. But we all, well, most of us probably just saw the video where the police officer was called. This just happened like a week or two ago. Called the police in Texas. He went, the lady called him, the mother of a seven-year-old boy, called him because the neighbor choked her son. So she called the police. The police came. It's all on the body camera. Police walk up to the lady after he talked to the man and said, so what's the problem? She said, I called you because he hit and choked my son. Police said, why did you choke him? Why did he choke him? She said, he said he choked him because he threw some paper down on the ground. The police officer said, well, why don't you teach your son not to litter? But she called the police because he choked her son. And the next thing that happened, she's mad. And the police uh, tell her, "If what you keep being mad, I'm going to lock you up for resisting arrest. She hasn't even been placed under arrest. Her daughter walks over, tries to walk her off. Police grab her, twist her arm, throw her on the ground, put his taser on her, handcuff her, grab her daughter, throw her on the ground, and, and, and twist her arm and cuff her, and now they're both going to jail. But when we mention it in a light way, people will be like, ah, just another one of those situations. It don't matter. You know, we have to be, we have to take some time to be informed because every situation pop up. And some situations pop up, like I was mentioning uh, to someone yesterday, some situations pop up aren't worth my time. But I need to go find out because if it's something that, that happened in a justified manner, I'm not about to go make a fuss about it, you know? So. I'll just say I second um, becoming more informed. I think we are in a misinformation age and re I remember growing up, uh, we I knew misinformation came from like the National Enquirer, those magazines, right, or like Esquire, right? Well, I think because of the internet, like we're gonna have to figure out, and others will have to figure out what is the misinformation kind of venues of vehicles of the internet, and it's all over the place, and it, because people push their agenda um, specifically through the internet and can get to masses through social media so quickly, it just kind of flies uh, so fast. And we, I don't know, we just, we need to find a way to become better at uh, seeking out the information. And not just information that supports our point of view, but information that supports the other point of view. Um, and understand what the reasons are, what, what the rationale is. Uh, so that's one thing, just dealing with it, misinformation. On the topic of social justice, kind of as a secondary thing uh, or a primary thing, so social justice, I, I would suggest kind of researching the history of social justice, but also the social gospel movement, because those are a little bit different things, but they all kind of weave into what we're talking about today. But social justice originally didn't have much to do with equality, in terms of redistribution and sometimes social justice today, that is what people talk about when they talk about social justice is redistribution of resources and opportunities so that everyone has equal um, opportunities, chances, access. And there's a lot of that that I think is, is a good, uh, good thing, but that's not originally how it was intended. It was intended as out of the Catholic Church a recognition that God has made made us all individually unique with different gifts and skills with different um, uh, frames 
um, for different purposes and that each person should have the freedom and ability to achieve their individual purpose. And so it wasn't really about redistribution for the purpose of equality, but recognizing the person and responding to that person in a way that allowed that person to achieve what God had intended for them. And so I think that ties directly into what Jesus did when he was here and what he continues to do and what the call for us, the call for us to engage in that same way with others around us. Um, regarding misinformation, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's just over, it's overwhelming. I think a lot of, a lot of kids when they come out of college, um, like, you know, from my, my experience in college and seeing the other kids, um, a lot of people, when they're exposed to tons of information of all kinds, they, they just get fatigued. Their, their thought process, their critical judgment gets fatigued, and they just kind of throw up their hands. Say, oh, I don't know what's true. I'm just going to go to work, go out to the bar afterwards, and maybe go rock climbing. Um, Probably not. <laughs> Not in that order. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, but what I always do is I go back to first principles. Like, all right, all right, what do I know? What do I know for sure? And if that's true, what do I need to do about it? Um, and that's just what constantly keeps me going. Um, I think people wanted the Lord to keep it simple. And he says, okay. Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, not that that is everything that God has to say, working out all the details, um, but that's the overshadowing message. Um, so in regard to misinformation, I think, okay, we'll fall back on what you do know. What do you know for sure? Um, and in regard to, you know, um, knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified, um, read the rest of 1 Corinthians and see, um, see how much of that letter is Paul telling people, stop doing this, do this thing instead, this is the right way to think about this, don't do this, um, regarding what could be construed as social issues. I mean, any interaction between human beings is a social issue. Um, and I think, honestly, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's fatigue, and it is um, fear of man, which God says is a snare. And I think it's helpful to ask yourself, who do you, who do you, if it's a snare, a snare is a trap. Who do you suppose set that trap? Um, so this always comes to mind. I used to always just read um, before I was an abolitionist, verse 10. Um, but then the rest of it really struck me. If you faint in the day of adversity, this is uh, Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Um, so it's an exhortation not to faint in the day of adversity. And pretty much every day you wake up is going to be a day of adversity. Um, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So, so not to give up, to recognize that the, um, 
that you are not your own, your strength is not your own. Um, the ability will, will match the occasion. Um, so not to give up, to, to continue to recognize that, um, that knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified is the foundation for all sorts of other things that you must know and do. Um, and not to give in to the temptation to fatigue, the temptation to fear. Um, can I can I say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. I want I, I want to ask you. So I want to ask you. So in light of um, when you say we know what we know, I get that point from the biblical point of view because we know what the truth is. We know, you know, we should stand on that truth. We know, you know, that that truth doesn't change. But I think in light of something, what he said about the misinformation, I think from a practical point of view, because we, we have to deal with both in these situations, um, how can, I think I'm, I'm, I want to ask a question, but I think I want to comment. So bear with me. I'm trying to frame it right. In light of practical things and situations, I just don't want that to be a danger you know, because most times what we think is right may not be right in a practical sense. Um, we had a police officer, and I hate to keep using police, but we had a police officer in uh, St. Louis that shot a guy and uh, planted a gun on him, and somebody saw it, said that, like, they planted a gun on that dude. Somebody saw it out the window. Like, they videotaped it and said the police officer went to the car and planted a gun on the dude. But because there wasn't any footage from the police, no one took it serious. So my first response as a, 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 a law-abiding citizen, me, I'm talking me personally, my first response is always to think that's, that person is right, you know, because it's the right way. The police, right. But comes out four years later, they have a video that's hid on a thumb drive. Uh, they got lost. The police officer, while he's in the car chasing the guy, he tells his partner, catch him, I'm about to kill him. They catch him, he kill him, he goes to his car, plants a gun. So I, my reason for saying what I said is like, and it may be because of the way I, I completely agree with you about the, the, the standing on what we know and know part, it just was, I, I think I had to say something because of it being a practical, him acting in practical situations, I don't think there's a way we can always know what we know. You know what I mean? Because my first response in that situation, police pulling up to a drug deal, drug dealer takes off driving, police say the drug dealer pulls a gun out and points it at him, shoots him. In my head, I'm like, it makes sense. And I grew up in the hood, but I'm like, this makes sense. Like, if the police, if I'm selling drugs, police chase me, I got a gun, I'm appointed, boom, I'm dead. But I think it's in those situations, it's hard to know what we know, and we shouldn't assume. So I kind of wanted to just, you know, well, it wasn't a question then. I kind of wanted to just add on to that, you know, so we just, we, we wouldn't, because I started thinking that in my own brain, you know. I don't want us to think, like, that you meant, just kind of like know what we, I I knew completely what you meant yes, when you said, you yeah, it, no, no, you knew 
No, I knew what he meant when he was like, know what we know, and he went to the scriptures. It's like, yeah, it's infallible, but I didn't want nobody else to think it was meant in the practical sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. I mean, even what, with what I do, um, like, and to be, to be completely open um, in situations out in the world to the possibility that you don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, that's what I meant. I meant as, okay, what do you know about the nature of reality? Base your action on that and, and do your best to be fair and to make sure, um, that you're not basing it on some kind of, um, prejudice you got from out there and not from in here. Um, regarding like, say if I go to, um, if I go out to the abortion clinic, see a girl walking in, um, I know that abortion is murder. Um, I am relatively certain that um, that a number of the women going in this building today um, are going there to have their children killed. Do I know that this woman is? No. <laughs> so I don't say, um, oh, don't go kill your baby. I mean, you only have like five, ten seconds, but um, but I acknowledge the things I don't know. And I say, okay, if I don't know, but if these are the possibilities, what would be a reasonable and right thing to say? Um, so, yeah, thanks for that clarification, because that no wouldn't have made any sense at all if I didn't. I didn't want to make it seem, because I agree with what you were saying, but, I, you know, yeah. right on. Um, just pastorally, just homework, Bible study homework. Notice how many times in that letter Paul goes on to say, do you not know, and how many topics that touches on. For him, Jesus Christ and him crucified is a relatively large topic. It's not just Jesus died, Jesus bled, he saved you with from your sins. It's There's a lot more involved. Um, and uh, anyways, let's, let's thank our speakers. And... Uh, Really quickly, let me pray, and you're all released. Father, I think one of the things that's required of, of us as Christians is to be in the pursuit of truth, knowing that truth aligns with who you are, and that there really is a world that works orderly and a purpose to life uh, and a morality that coincides with those purposes. It's, it's our job to seek to seek you knowing that you sought us first. So I pray that we would be proactive in that, that you would continue to teach us, that we would maintain um, humility in these things and graciousness and compassion. And um, I ask in the weeks and in the months to come, Lord, for all who are here, there would be steps in the direction of these things, that we would be day by day transformed into your glory um, as we behold your glory, that we would reflect it as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you.